Introduction of the Living Animals of the World, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. The Living Animals of the World, Volume 1, Mammals. By Charles Lewis Cornish, Editor. Introduction. The welcome accorded to the living races of mankind, of which the present work is the natural extension, would be a practical encouragement, if such were needed, to treat the living races of animals in like fashion. But the interest now taken in natural history is of a kind and caliber never previously known, and any work which presents the wonders of the animal world in a new or clearer form may make some claim to the approval of the public. The means at the disposal of those responsible for the following pages are, by mere lapse of time, greater than those of their predecessors. Every year not only adds to the stock of knowledge of the denizens of the earth and ocean, but increases the facilities for presenting their forms and surroundings pictorially. Photography applied to the illustration of the life of beasts, birds, fishes, insects, corals, and plants is at once the most attractive and the most correct form of illustration. In the following pages it will be used on a scale never equaled in any previous publication. Without straining words it may be said that the subjects photographed have been obtained from every part of the world, many of them from the most distant islands of the southern ocean, the Great Barrier Reef of Australia, the New Zealand hills, the Indian jungle, the South African veldt, and the rivers of British Columbia. Photographs of swimming fish, the flying bird, and the leaping salmon will be reproduced as accurately as those of the large carnivora or the giant ungulates. In accordance with the example now being set by the Museum of Natural History, the living breeds of domesticated animals will also find a place. The time and expenditure employed in illustration will be equaled by the attention given to the descriptive portion of the work. The editor will have the assistance of specialists eminent alike in the world of science and practical discovery. Mr. F. C. Sellis, for example, will deal with the African lion and the elephants, and other sportsmen with the big game of the dark continent. Mr. W. Seville Kent, the author of The Great Barrier Reef of Australia, will treat the marsupials of Australia and reptilia. Sir Herbert Maxwell will write on the Samanidae, and Mr. F. G. Aflalo on the whales and other cetacea of the deep seas while Mr. R. Ledeker, Dr. Boulder Sharp, Mr. W. F. Kirby, and other specialists have kindly agreed to supervise the work. Where possible, the illustrations will show the creatures in their natural surroundings, and in all cases the photographic portraits of the animals will, by the nature of things, present true and living pictures in place of the often curiously incorrect and distorted objects, the product of illustrators' fancy rather than the record of facts not infrequently seen in previous illustrated natural histories. It is possible that while these pages are in the press, discoveries of new animals may be made, or living representatives of creatures supposed to be extinct may be discovered. One band of explorers is engaged in seeking on the plains of South America for recent remains and possible survivors of the giant ground sloths. Another expedition is engaged in the island of Java in an even more interesting quest. Great as is the difference between even the lowest human intelligence and the mind of the man-like apes, the likeness both in form and action of the latter to man has never failed to suggest, 
that there may have existed, or may even still exist, a higher anthropoid ape nearer to the human being than those now known. The idea has taken shape in the term the missing link. The phrase is misleading in itself. Such a creature would be no more a link in the descent of man than one imperfectly developed limb of a tree is a link between the other branches and the stem. But it is always possible that we might find another branch which had attained a higher type than those terminating in the gorilla or chimpanzee. Recent research seems to have discovered the remains of such a creature. In the island of Java, near one of the homes of the man-like apes of today, a naturalist, M. Dubois, employed by the Dutch government, excavated some fossil-bearing gravels on a river called the Solo. These gravels belonged to a period when civilized man, at any rate, did not exist. In them he found a great quantity of bones of mammals and of prehistoric crocodiles. There were no perfect skeletons, and it was fairly plain that the bodies of the creatures had been floated down the river, and there pulled to pieces by crocodiles, just as they are in India today. In this place, lying within a distance of about fifteen yards from each other, he made an extraordinary discovery of animal remains. This was no less than the top of the skull of a creature much higher in development than the chimpanzee or gorilla, but lower than the lowest type of human skull. Near it were also found two of the teeth of one of the bones of the thigh. The thigh bone resembles very nearly that of a man, though Dr. Virchow, whom Englishmen remember in connection with the fatal illness of the German Emperor Frederick, considered it did not differ from that of one of the gibbons. The inference is that the creature walked upright, and this fact is recorded in its scientific name. As regards the skull, some specialists in anthropology said that it was that of a large ape, of a kind of gibbon, a long-armed, upright-walking ape, described later, of a higher anthropoid ape, and of a low type of man. Finally, Dr. Cunningham, the able secretary of the Royal Irish Zoological Society, said it resembled that of a microcephalous idiot. It is rather strange if the remains of the first and only man found in the lower Pleistocene should happen to be those of a microcephalous idiot, or out of many millions of men born, there are perhaps only one or two of this type. Compared with the head of any of the living apes, it is very large. Its brain-holding power is about five to three compared with the skull of a gorilla, and two to one compared with that of a chimpanzee. There is a tradition in Sumatra that man-like apes exist of a higher character than the orangutan. Pending the discovery of more remains, the following extract is worth quoting, as giving shape to current ideas about such creatures, both here and among the Malays. They take form in a very curious and interesting book called The Prison of Veltervaden, written by Walter M. Gibson in the middle of the last century. His story is that he was kept in prison at Veltervaden in Java by the Dutch after leading a life of adventure and inquiry among the islands of the South Atlantic and Indian Ocean that he came in his own small vessel to the Malay archipelago and spent some time in the interior of Sumatra, where he saw apparent evidences of semi-human beings. He saw the orangutans in their native forest and noted that they were covered with red hair and was surprised at the slowness of their movements. Among some men engaged in building a stable for the Raja, he saw, quote, a dark form, tall as a middle-sized man, covered with hair that looked soft and flowing. The arms, hands, legs, and feet 
seemed well formed like the malays the body was straight and easily bore on the right shoulder the yoke of two heavy panniers filled with material for the building which was going on unquote. gibson says that quote, the eyes were clearer the nose fuller and the lips thinner than those of the common malay but the mouth was wide the lips protruding and a chin formed no part of its hairy face yet it was pleasantly human in expression unquote. much more so than the dirty mottled-faced coolies and lascars he had seen we quote the account as showing if true that gibson saw an anthropoid ape taught to work it may be mere coincidence but it is nevertheless somewhat remarkable that the two great black man-like apes the chimpanzee and the gorilla inhabit the same continent as some of the blackest races of mankind while the red orangutan is found in countries where the yellow-skinned malay races of man are indigenous the special thanks of the editor and publishers are due to a great many naturalists and zoologists for the valuable help they have given to and the interest they have taken in this work while it has been in preparation no doubt before the complete work is published a great many more names will be added to the list but meanwhile grateful acknowledgment should be made to the following her grace the duchess of bedford who has kindly allowed many of her fine photographs to be reproduced in these pages the honorable walter rothschild m p for the splendid collection of photographs taken especially for him in all parts of the world lord delamere for several unique photographs taken with a telephoto lens during his celebrated expedition to africa major knott f z s for the use of his scientific series of animal photographs for dr r w schufelt of washington for many photographs of fish and other animals in their natural surroundings mr w seville kent f z s f l s for the photographs taken by him while in australia mr lewis medlin f z s for the use of his singularly complete set of animal photographs herr karl hagenbeck of hamburg for permission to use his photographs of some extremely rare specimens of animals which from time to time have found a temporary home in his wonderful theater park the trustees of the british museum for permission to photograph some of their animals professor e ray lancaster director of the natural history branch of the british museum and the zoological society for permission to photograph some of the animals and also to Herr Ottomar Achsutz of Berlin, Messrs. Bond and Grover of the Scholastic Photographic Company, Signor Alenari of Florence, Messrs. Carey and Company, and Mr. Henry King of Sydney, Mr. Charles Knight, Mr. J. W. McClellan, Messrs. Charles and William Reed, Messrs. A. S. Rudland and Sons, and Messrs. York and Sons for permission to reproduce their photographs. End of introduction.